Hi there, this is Dennis Velko with Out Bureau, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Out Bureau Voices, where we have engaging and interesting conversations with LGBTQ professionals, entrepreneurs, and community leaders. And like so many times I say, I have such a privilege to talk with so many wonderful people who have been leaders in our community. And our guest today, Bob Wittick, is absolutely no different. He hits all the points of being both, or all three, a professional entrepreneur and a community leader. Bob Wittick founded the first LGBT marketing and communications agency in the world. Welcome to the show, Bob. Oh, Dennis, thank you so much. It's a privilege. I've, um, I'm a huge fan of yours and I'm grateful to be among so many peers and leaders around the world that uh, are part of this community that you're building. Oh, well, thank you so much. And you know, it's very, it, it, it's for for me the 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 reason I'm doing uh, these shows is to one uh, for knowledge history right also to give inspiration to others you know mm -hmm. so so many times you know uh, we I I hear from young people that they don't have a um, a sense of a mentor or a sense of, you know, connecting and seeing opportunities. So I think it's really important to not just have the, you know, what's going on in Hollywood and what actor is caught in Tahiti coming out of it or wherever, coming out of the water in a, you know, white Speedo and look how big his junk is, which, you know, no offense to any other, you know, media platforms out there. But, you know, that's a lot of clickbait and not a lot of substance. And so getting these conversations is, you know, one, giving a platform for my guests, but also I, I feel providing a service to the LGBT community and, you know, really giving substance and value. So I appreciate your time and, and your willingness to be on the show. And so, Bob, you know, you're well known in some, you know, in circles of the LGBT community and of course in brands, but you know, the average person probably wouldn't know who you are. And so what I'd love for you to do is take a few moments and take us back to the beginning and talk about kind of, you know, what was the spark to create Wittick Communications and how did that all come to be? Well, let me tell you, um, uh, it was an accident. Um, the last person in my family who um, ran their own business was, was an entrepreneur was my grandfather, who regrettably I never met. He died in the 1940s, but he was a shoemaker. He came over from Budapest in 1905 with $12 and uh, opened up his business in, in Wisconsin. So he was the last in my genetic line, I think, to actually own a business at the uh, I, I'm not fit to fall in his capable footsteps either. Mm -hmm. But um, when I was growing up, uh, my passion was communications. I loved the media. And in fact, since I lived and grew up here in Washington, D.C., I was on Capitol Hill for the first 10 years of my career. So I ended up uh, being a press secretary for a senator for 10 years, which was great challenge and great opportunity. And I actually began to deal with some gay issues even long ago. But 10 years uh, following that, I ended up at a very large PR firm called Helen Olson. And Helen Olson is everywhere. And they have a very large presence in Washington. So I became a senior vice president at Helen Olson with a lot of corporate clients. But in 1993, there was such a cross-section of issues in my life. I was an avid volunteer in the community. I'd become a volunteer for the Human Rights Campaign and been active in, um, you know, in political issues and getting organized with, um, with the community in, in D.C. But at that point, I just was frustrated that my day job and my passions weren't connected enough. Mm. I always thought that, too, that corporations were natural allies of the LGBT community. I felt that we were missing the boat connecting business and the community's ideals. Because throughout time, I've always known that LGBTQ people are everywhere. We're all consumers, obviously. We live everywhere. But we're also in every company. We, we at every level 
the, the glass ceilings and the closet have always been our enemy. And we've never had a chance to really evoke or voice the power that we had. And I always thought that companies should be educated so that they understood the, the opportunity. The business case, basically, I think, uh, Dennis, as you know it, the business case is so profound. And if they knew it and we came out of the closet, then what a difference that would make. Yes, well, absolutely. And of course, study after study now in the last several years have shown that when companies do embrace diversity and inclusion in all of its spectrums, not just LGBT, but gender equality, racial equality, etc., um, that they outperform their competitors who don't and have the opportunity, depending on where they are on, uh, on that path, but if they're, say, at zero um, with no plans and no diversity and inclusion strategies uh, to implementing those, and it might take a couple of years to really mature, but they have an opportunity to gain revenue by 30%. Now, obviously, that shouldn't be the motivational driver, but when you are doing, it's so good when you can say, we're doing the right thing and that happens to translate into greater revenue. And there's lots of reasons, you know, why people can bring their whole self to work, they can, you know, ideate over all of their life experiences and how to creatively solve problems versus a homogeneous kind of, you know, employee or consumer base that may have the same mindsets and so forth. Um, so, you know, of course, there's articles on outbureau.com under employee re employer resources. If, if you're listening to this and would like to delve into that, I don't want to take a whole lot, you know, more of your time uh, away from that. But, you know, if you're listening or watching and you would like to know more about the impacts and the benefits of it, obviously uh, jump over to outbureau.com under employer resources and lots of articles there. So, so, so you were volunteering and you were working in communications and you felt a disjoint um, for it. So how did you make that coalesce and, you know, spark? Well, it's funny because, uh, you know, risk is something that all of us as entrepreneurs, we know. Uh, oh, but I yes. always, <laughs> <laughs> we, ha we have to be able to deal with a, um, uh, 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 we have to deal with that risk, so accommodate that risk. Two things I chose to do. I got a business partner, a very close friend, Wes Combs, to join with me. So we were with Combs when we began. This is almost 30 years ago, mind you. So this is a long, you know, people, uh, the business case you and I were just referring to, it seems to be well known today, but it wasn't. 30 years ago, uh, companies were very skittish and very anxious. They thought of um, approaching LGBTQ uh, consumer market was far, far more risk than reward. They just always felt that it was gonna cause them to uh, run off the road. But what happened at the time, not only just partnering with um, a business-minded friend who had shared my passions, but second, um, I had been working with American Airlines in prior, prior uh, life. And one of the senior executives at American called me up very quickly after our business opened because American had flown into a lot of turbulence in 93. Uh, there was a uh, march on Washington and one of the flight crew had asked for pillows and blankets on the flight to be removed because there were so many gay people on the flight for fear that there would be HIV and AIDS contamination. Mm. So, so the whole, that whole genesis of that drama became a worldwide boycott threat, actually, uh, because, the, um, because of the stupidity, obviously, of uh, uh, lack of professionalism and ignorance. If AIDS were transmitted in such a casual fashion, you know, we know that everybody would have had HIV by now. It would have uh, been because, a pandemic like COVID, right? Yes, it would have been exactly. But the casual contamination in that sense was was both offensive in every level and also connoting that gay people were all carriers. So uh, this is pre-internet, as you can imagine. This is right. 93, 94. So I was called to come to Dallas and say, can you help? 
And uh, yes, and when we had our very first meetings in Dallas with their executives, the question I wanted to know more than anything else is, are they real? Does American really want to really want to solve this issue or do they want to put lipstick on it? You know, do they want right. to just make it go away? The thing that we learned to our um, delight was that they were a company of integrity, that they did get it. They understood the stupidity of the of one one employee. One one person out of thousands can change the course of a company. Yes, um, it can. Yes, it does. It can. And, and it has repeatedly in history. So the thing that happened at that time that they got involved in class action suits on this as well. And we began to work with them directly on policies and practices, not just messaging. And uh -huh. so uh, what we wanted to do was turn around who they were as a company and deal with it to transform them into a leader. And uh, they were willing to go there. In fact, they took a lot of risks in those early years. They had tremendous amount of boycott and backlash threat from, from anti-gay groups. On one day, Dennis, on one day, about three years into this, every major anti-gay group, a conservative group, put out a full-page ad in the New York Times and probably 10 other newspapers in the country attacking American. Hmm. And that company did not change course. Can you imagine that happening today? It wouldn't happen today because we've, we've obviously, because of progress. But at that time, companies had to stand up. Uh, well, it actually does um, still happen today to some extent. Um, I just read the other they day. Wouldn't put it in, they wouldn't put it in print ads, that's for sure. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's also very expensive, a lot cheaper yes. on the internet. But yeah, right now, yeah. because of Kellogg, there's a, a right-wing group calling for all right-wing you know, folks to um, boycott Kellogg's and yeah. a couple other companies because of, you know, being uh, showing their inclusivity so it, it which that just reminds me again that was like as you stated 30 tw 28 to 30 years ago right and it's just so sad that we have similar examples of that still today yes so that just shows how much one work has been done but just how much more work still remains you know we can't we, we do complaint become complacent we you're right. It's funny. I wish. Uh, hold on a second. I want to show you something. If I can show you. Sure. This this is it happened. I just found this uh, yet, uh, yet, uh, last week, but this just appeared um, right. at that same time because the Disney boycott, which people today probably are not as aware, but this is what these groups were about. They were uh, major campaigns. Mm -hmm. to take on companies, but Disney and American Airlines and a few others were the poster child at that time. But if they had bent or surrendered, I think it would have changed the direction of our, you know, of our market, because um, if they could have uh, uh, yielded a surrender, then I think a lot of other companies wouldn't have been as brave. You're absolutely right. It takes those companies with a foundation of um, integrity and understanding uh, to stand up and and not fold under the voices of ignorance and and learned hatred. Exactly right. And and you know that was the message throughout the all the years, the earliest years, when we were talking to companies like American Airlines, Ford Motor Company, IBM, we were working with quite a few companies. And along the way, they all wanted to know the business case. They wanted to know the upsides. But they also asked questions about dealing with backlash. They expected it. And, mm -hmm. and it showed you that their values were driving the course. Their, their values were driven by a business message. They weren't there to change the world, but they were there to connect with the world and to find um, business opportunities wherever they are. Right, yeah. And it's interesting, um, one of my buddies, uh, Fabrice Holdart, who wrote the LGBTQ diversity inclusion business case for the United Nations, who's now at Out right. Leaders, um, in our conversation, um, he said that, you know, LGBTQ inclusivity is kind of like the canary in the coal mine, because yes. if you're doing that well, you're also doing diversity and inclusion across, again, all the spectrum of um, 
race, ethnicity, and so forth um, well. And if you're not doing LGBT inclusivity well, you're probably not doing the others to its fullest either. So, um, so very interesting. So, and, you know, I was just thinking while you're also uh, talking is that, you know, 30 years ago, there wasn't many, if any, directors of diversity inclusion at these companies. There weren't even many diversity inclusion consultants and practices that these companies could go to for just that. And that's what I find interesting is, you know, you started a, a branding and a communications company, but you also had to do dual purpose and right. be a diversity and inclusion consultant. I, I, that's very fascinating. That, that is absolutely true. It's funny, I, I want to mention in that very first meeting we had, uh, the, uh, one of their top lawyers was in the room. He said to me at one point, he said, do you think we have many gay people at American Airlines? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry if I just blew the mic out. I'm going to have to take that sound out. That is Dennis, freaking I, hilarious. Are you kidding I, me? I had to resist that impulse to do what you just did <laughs> because I, I wanted to say, have you ever flown? You know, <laughs> whether exactly. or not he had experience with their, with their, with a lot of their workforce. But the, the funny thing was, um, I realized the question was so important to me to hear because one, I thought if he doesn't really have a grip on it, then we have an issue. It turned out one of the um, colleagues in the room who became a very close friend to me over time was gay, but he wasn't out in that meeting. And so I said, well, there's the issue, you know, we're facing is that they're surrounded, the colleagues are gay, but they don't know it. Um, so that, that became a, an opportunity for their own people to get a voice. But uh, Dennis, in that very first meeting, our first advice was for them to form an LGBTQ workforce uh, resource group. In awesome. fact, um, I still have the memo where we laid out um, how to form the resource groups and also to allow other groups to form, you know, people of color, obviously women. We figured single most important thing they should do is have the ear and the advice of their own gay workforce. And that, that has served them extremely well. That's been around now for over 25, well, almost 30 years. And um, it's changed um, the dialogue internally so that they're really integrated into policies and practices. Well, very interesting. And so they didn't have any employee resource groups prior to that, no. none, no. okay. And so you advise them to start an LGBT ERG. But we, we said with others. So we yes, said you, yeah, need a, I would... you need a council, but the LGBT group was the first to form. Really? And um, yes, it was the very first one. And then the others quickly followed people of color, women, uh, people with disabilities. It was great because they gave a common platform and, and focused on inclusion. Well, Okay, so one, you were the first marketing and communications company. You had because there weren't diversity inclusion consultants and directors back then. You kind of had to fill that role. They didn't have ERGs at all, and That's you right. introduced that concept. Now, let me ask you: when you started to go to subsequent um, employers and brands, mm. did they also not have ERGs? Did did you start that entire concept? I wish I had, but no. Um, okay. To me, I was familiar with them beginning. And in fact, in some areas, for example, IBM has always been a pioneer, always. They really have got it uh, over many years. So that, I think theirs were in place before then. And there were a few others, few others, but they were not common, and they were not uh, they were not um, uh, organized in any real way. It's funny though. Uh, about that time, the mid '90s, I attended a meeting in San Francisco called for Agog, A G O G. It was for a group of groups, and it was the first time that some of these ERGs had gathered in one place. So Disney was the convener. And this group turned into Out and Equal, mm. Out and Equal Workplace Associates. But at that time, 
I remember going to the meeting and at the end we all had to, you know, fold up our folding chairs. I mean, that's how unsophisticated it was. Hmm. But there was like Hewlett Packard, there was American Airlines, there was uh, Disney, but the, the room wasn't packed. It was like 30 people. Wow. Uh, today, when Out Equal has a, a convening, they'll have 7,000 in their room. Very interesting. So, Very yeah. interesting. And for those listening too, uh, I'm going to put a card uh, right up here to my interview with Stan Kimmer. Um, he was one of the founding people at IBM. He was the first yes. out um, executive at IBM. And so I'll put a link to that that you can uh, right click, open it up in another window, or if you're on YouTube or on our uh, on our website. And if, if you're not, um, come to our website and look up Stan Kimmer, K-I-M-E-R, absolutely, absolutely fantastic human being and a great story on his journey at IBM of 32 years. So I appreciate you bringing IBM up. They are, they, they have always been quite the leader. And I, and I know Stan and I know Fabrice, these are people who are big change agents. I'm delighted that you're there in your orbit, Dennis. Yes. Well, I'm trying. <laughs> and um, so talk about maybe a little bit, um, you know, kind of about your communication side. So what were the kind of things, you know, outside of what you've already have indicated, you know, you had to kind of be a diversity inclusion consultant in it, you know, help form ERGs in a few locations and so forth, you know, but um, let's talk about your kind of communications and marketing side, because that's the sure. sex. That's the sexy and the sizzle. Is that what you think? <laughs> you, you don't want to see how, uh, uh, you know, um, sausage is made. Um, yeah, I hear But you. actually, when we started, opened our doors, we had two major clients. The first was American Airlines, as I mentioned. The other was actually the Human Rights Campaign Foundation, because they had just acquired the intellectual property of something, a tiny, obscure little program called National Coming Out Day. National Coming Out Day at that time uh, was really a, a, a cottage industry. Rob Eichberg and a couple others who had founded it had a Keith Herring artwork that showed somebody coming out of the closet. And that was basically their asset, <laughs> was that. But nobody had marketed it. Now, remember, this is 1993. So National Coming Out Day was not national in any meaningful sense. Coming out was something people did but it wasn't a cause. And so we were charged with marketing and, and uh, launching it in a serious way. It was pre-internet, pre-internet, mind you. But um, what we ended up doing is working with celebrity spokespersons a lot. Uh, so the first two were, were Dan Butler. Dan Butler played Bulldog on Frasier. He was an openly gay actor. And the other one's Amanda Burse, the openly lesbian actor on Married with Children, which I think only like five people I know have seen because I didn't care for that program. <laughs> but it was, she played a, a heterosexual, of course, and so did Dan Butler played a at rabidly heterosexual, you know, uh, uh, player. And um, we came up with a line. We came up with a, a message. It said, I'm not a straight person, but I play one on TV. Okay. And of course, the takeoff on the on the advertising. And those two would do um, video spots for us. They would do appearances. And we took them, you know, wherever we could bring them, they could make a difference. And people loved it. But but you have to build on that. So we obviously, we had others. We had Candace Gingrich, Newt Gingrich's half-sister. Uh, we had Greg McGainis. We had, um, I'm trying to think of all the, oh, um, Chaz Bono, but Chaz at that time was chastity, you know, speaking uh, to audiences and, and Chaz was great running around. And in fact, on National Coming Out Day, which is every year on October 11th, um, for the first time, Cher showed up to uh, speak to a gay audience. And it was held, uh, the, the Names Project had the quilt on the mall that year. So on October 11th, the mall was filled with the AIDS quilts. And on the ellipse, right near the White House, um, we had Cher showed up wow. and spoke to this audience. And it was electric. 
just electric, you know, to have her speak. But she had never done that before. But Chaz um, had convinced her, of course, to speak on her behalf. Yeah, outside of her concerts. <laughs> right. Well, yes, exactly. Exactly. It, it was just a a specific known LGBT, <laughs> but honey, her concerts, right. probably half the audience are gay men, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're so true. But you know, it's interesting. Um, Chaz brought uh, his stepmother too, Mary Bono. She was a Republican member of Congress. She was there. Cher was there. I just thought it was crazy. But it was a lovely moment. But that's the kind of thing we did. Events, uh, posters. Um, you couldn't do anything digital because it didn't exist. At right. The time. But we could do all these other things. And I think National Coming Out Day then became a thing. Oh, you well, know? it definitely has. Gosh, yeah. it filled my right. in. It filled my inbox. You know, on the right. uh, on the uh, October. Now, if I may ask, it just kind of sure. you know hit my my consciousness is. Yes. Why October 11th? Was there anything specific around choosing that date? Yes. Um, it, it, it happened to be the date of the March on Washington in 1987. Mm. And so uh, out of that March, they came up with um, what more will we do going forward? You know, suggestions, things that grew out of it. There were some organizations were launched that, that year um, that grew out of the March. For example, I'm not sure it did it that year, but I think the Service Members Legal Defense Network grew out of one of the marches, maybe the 93 march. Mm. Um, but different, um, you know, life was given to different ideas. And National Coming Out Day was one. Because, because for exactly the same thing that we've said all along, you can't change people unless you're open. You, can't, you, can't, you can't affect political change. You can't affect business. You can't affect anything unless you're honest. Absolutely. And, and that brings me to one point is that still today, only about 48% of LGBTQ plus people are out at work. Yes. And that's right. It's because they don't feel safe. They, they believe that they're going to be discriminated against. Um, yes. I, I love to write about studies. It's one of my favorite things because then, you know, if I write about a study, by a very prestigious organization no one can re right. refute what i'm saying because <laughs> i didn't say it i'm only interpreting it and regurgitating it right and you know study after study now shows several studies now for the last couple of years shows that when people are applying for their job um if there's anything on their resume that indicates lgbt like for example you might been the IT service, you know, uh, you know, help desk person at the New York LGBT Community Center for five years. But if right. that's on your resume uh, as LGBT Community Center, um, you only have about a 50-50% chance of even getting a call. And then right. also people are discriminated against um, gay men are discriminated against. And although, of course, I don't agree with gender inequality on pay, but gay men are often, if hired, uh, are paid at a similar discounted rate um, because of the, the, the stereotypes and the conscious mm -hmm. and unconscious bias. So again, right. folks, this work, although folks like Bob has been working on this and many other uh, wonderful people who have my hope to get on the show, uh, for the last 30, 40 years have been working on this. We have so much more work to do and we have to partner with organizations, organizations that rep represent people of color, organizations right. that represent women um, and so right. forth. Um, I interviewed um, Naomi who um, was one of the founders of Fairy God Boss, which is an, a site similar to um, out, uh, out bureau, but for all, for women, and they include transgender in it and so forth. And we had that conversation. So I'm going to plug yet another show, uh, just because it really ties in, you know. And and you know, we've had a conversation or two in the past, but I really enjoy the. That's why I love doing these shows, is because it gives us an opportunity to really get into the depth and yeah. and the span. And I'm so fascinated um, about how you started out and the depth and breadth that you had to do because it didn't exist. So right. it's very fascinating. 
So, um, so not get all deep on you folks, okay? <laughs> but, um, but it's it's why I do what I do. It, it's because there is such still a challenge to go. Um, so let's kind of lighten it up a bit, if we could, and uh, you know, get back to kind of that. Um, you know, maybe talk about some of the projects and uh, more other projects that you worked on uh, for companies. Are there's, of course, you know, the coming out day. Um, if you yeah. don't know of that, you've probably have lived in a cave for the last 20 years. Uh, so you've done a really great job on getting that, uh, uh, you know, off the ground and becoming part of the consciousness of the community and broader community at large. Um, you know, but uh, maybe sure, you know, so folks can kind of get a sense of sure. w- what you've touched in the past. Maybe, you sure. know, what we might recognize that that you oh, sure. help bring to the light. It's funny. Um the uh, work that we did, notably, we helped launch Logo at the time when Logo uh, was put on the air. Uh-huh. I worked with uh, MTV Networks for two years leading up to the development of it. And then when the evening when it was launched, I actually traveled with the uh, MTV Network uh, sales teams because once they created content, right, once they had the ready the programming, they still had to air it. And the only way to air it is through third parties. You have to do it on Comcast or DirecTV or RCA or, you know, you have to sell it to your distribution networks. So my task many times was to explain the business case, the market and the opportunity and help show examples of programming because obviously they wanted to know that it was an adult, that Mm -hmm. it was that it was family friendly. And they also wanted to be able to work with their customer uh, service representatives to explain to people why they're offering it because it was pretty historic right at the time to do that yeah in fact before they aired it they were thinking of it as a paid cable channel but the focus groups came back of gay people who were responding who said no we want to see commercials what we want to know is our channel looks like other channels and we also want to know what advertisers want to reach us so they really wanted an advertising revenue supported, you know, cable channel. So we ran around, talked to the Comcast and all the others about uh, the offering, what it was going to be. And by the time it aired, the night it aired, there were 18 million, uh, I think, cable households were on board, which in the cable land is a lot, uh, especially beginning. Uh, they, they were a threshold. They wanted to reach 10 million on day one, but... Now it's significantly higher, um, but um, 18 million was the, and, and interestingly, MTV Networks asked me to go on ABC News that night because they were doing a story about it. So they mm. wanted me to be the, the voice. So I, I spoke to the, to the business opportunity, but ABC News, I, I thought they, I don't know, I thought they sort of mishandled the story because I always say this, news is about two things, change or conflict. And I thought it was a great change story because it was progress. It was progress. They wanted to bring in some adversaries who were saying it was going to be terrible that gay people are going to be on TV. And um, the funny thing is, a line that I didn't get in my on the air, I said, I find it interesting. I, I'm on ABC where uh, when you aired Soap, they put on their very first bisexual character on TV, Billy Crystal, and they got thousands and thousands and thousands of postcards but it never stopped abc from airing so the comedy so so i thought you know that that just shows you that people can react but if they like it they're going to watch it and that's the same with logo if it's good they'll watch it and an obscure drag queen came out of this as you know somebody named rupaul grew out of that launch (laughs) and rupaul is sort of like the Simpsons on the Tracy Ullman show, you know, they were like a little tiny bit on Tracy Ullman. And now, of course, they're a 30, 40 year, you know, phenomenon. And same, same with RuPaul. RuPaul's worldwide global domination continues. But yeah. it began on Logo at that, at that moment. So it's kind of, kind of exciting that they gave birth to these ideas. Very interesting. And even just that story, uh, to me, just illustrates you know kind of tying back to also the american airlines you know you weren't just oh creating an ad to be in print magazines right 
you really yes. went in in a full-fledged con yes. uh, consultative manner yes. and partnered yes. with them on so many levels that you know whenever you hear of a you know a marketing agency you really just right. think of banner ads and print ads and maybe a couple article copies right. you don't you don't the, the average person just doesn't think of uh, uh you know if you were to think of a media company an advertising company think of them as as going as deep and broad um that you have done so i find that extremely um inspirational and um enlightening well so, dennis it's interesting even at the time again we had to make people comfortable to accept airing this programming yeah. and actually i wrote and broad i i wrote and recorded customer service tapes for oh. these distributors and now they're they're now at the smithsonian's archives really because the smithsonian wanted to have this as a record of how a uh, you know historic moment like that in in terms of of lgbtq representation became a reality and mm. so it was it was answering the questions that you know homeowners might have about or cable customers might have and trying to respond to them in a very, what I would say is a conversational way that wasn't, you know, was designed to um, make it, you know, uh, uh, not acceptable so much as the idea that diverse programming is 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 a, is a good thing. Yeah. And that all, even if your household isn't excited about it, many are, you know. Right. And of course, if you don't like what's on the channel, simply exactly. don't tune in. It's that you simple. Go to, you go to cooking, you go to golf, you go to fashion, you can go wherever you want. So having channels for diverse tastes is, is American as apple pie. Just like you can go watch 700 Club, as my <laughs> grandmother used to do, exactly. right? Doesn't exactly. mean I'm going to watch it. Nope. It, it's all Doesn't. a personal choice. It's, but, you know, don't limit, don't limit others just because you're, you don't like something that you're never going to watch exactly biatch <laughs> so very cool very cool wow very enlightening okay and um so what if you know i even to, to ask the question what has been some of the most challenging um things uh it just is like omg you've already just kind of said a lot <laughs> that was that was heavy lifting throughout um yeah but we also had uh, two projects might interest you they weren't actually gay but uh, one of them was a, a notable famous bookstore in our in dc called kramer books and a fellow a lawyer named ken Starr, subpoenaed uh kramer books because monica Lewinsky had purchased some books that she gave to uh, President Clinton. So they went to the bookstore and tried to get her book purchases on the record. And the American Booksellers, the Library Association, the ACLU and everybody else did not want to have um, investigative attorneys invade the privacy of someone's right to read whatever it is they want to read. Hmm. So we had massive um, press conferences at the bookstore to defend them against turning over Monica Lewinsky's uh, book buying habits. It was fascinating because it was a tiny little part of that huge story, but it was one people related to and they wanted to defend a bookseller, you know? Um, so that was, that was kind of fun. That lasted for several months till Ken Starr caved. And then another thing, we, we did a, um, a work with a, an actor you've heard of, Christopher Reeve, Mm -hmm. who was an uh, environmental activist at the time. And he was doing an environmental program. We were working with him. And about three months later, he had his famous, terrible, tragic accident. And then we represented Christopher Reeve for the next 10 years of his life as he became a uh, activist and champion for spinal cord injury uh, recovery. Wow. And that was sort of an accident. I mean, in every sense, his, his life changed, but also the opportunity to help him be a global spokesperson hmm. for uh, for the science of spinal cord uh, repair. So it was really breathtaking to help um, do that. He had no lack of getting press, right? But we wanted to make sure that he got the right press and that we were changing hearts and minds about 
uh, the science. Hmm. Very, very interesting. Just uh, how, how did he come into your sphere? I mean, did he just become aware of you or is it just like a, a random phone call? So we had, we had um, uh, mutual friends who worked for this environmental organization. Okay. So because of this environmental advocacy, we overlapped. Uh, but it was from that overlapping, working with him at that moment that, see, he had always had Hollywood publicists, which are very different, right? They're the ones who have to worry about how many times his name and likeness appears in people and a variety of other places. We had to be able to put him in the science advocacy media, the New York Times, you know, a lot of different kinds of media. Um, so he needed something different from what he had. And yet, at the same time, he was still trying to do some work in entertainment. He actually made a movie during his, uh, when he, he made a remake of, um, of, uh, What's, what's the famous Jimmy Stewart movie, um, Rear Window? Hmm. He made a television version of Rear Window uh, for that because he was in the wheelchair. And so um, all throughout this whole uh, process, we had so many occasions to, uh, to do some amazing things with him that were really great. One was he went to uh, Israel uh, in his wheelchair to go to the Wailing Wall and we were curious why the Israelis had invited him to come, you know, uh, at this moment. And it turns out they were trying to get over. They had just had a, a series, a couple of years of um, tourism disasters because of violence uh, in the region. And so they wanted to sort of connect people with the idea that it was safe again to travel. And who better than somebody in a wheelchair coming to the Wailing Wall? So they made a big deal out of his being there, which was good. And he, and of course, he educated a lot of people about, you know, his life, which is great. Hmm. Very so we've cool. had some fun, fun adventures along the way that are, that are a little different, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> very, very neat. And so, um, you know, what kind of stuff are you doing today? Well, it's interesting. I was doing, I was just beginning work with a new client uh, when, when the pandemic hit. Uh, I had just started working with Cunard. And Cunard, of course, is most famous for its massive ships, the Queen Elizabeth II, the Queen Mary II, the Queen Victoria. And they wanted to, you know, they've been around almost 100 years, but they wanted to be relevant to this contemporary generations. And one of the ways you do it is by doing a, a fuller, more inclusive story about LGBTQ travel. You, know, you and I know one thing. We disproportionately love to travel. Gay people have wanderlust. After 9-11, after the last recession, and even now, all the data says that we're ready to hit the road, you know, in many ways. We just have that need to reconnect. And um, Cunard, I think, wisely, uh, when we they approached me, actually, um, they just said, we want to find a way that, you know, uh, LGBTQ people, we've always had room for them everywhere. They've been on our ships and they're on our staff. They're everywhere. But we're not telling the story. So they wanted to tell the story. Uh, but then, of course, the ships were in dry dock the last year and a half. They haven't come out yet. They're just about to. So that that would have been a great journey. In fact, my husband and I uh, went on the Queen Mary to Britain um, about four months ahead of uh, the COVID uh, lockdown. And that was a great experience because Meryl Streep had been on the uh, on the same trip a month earlier and made a movie out of it. She and Diane Beast made a, um, uh, a HBO movie uh, on the same voyage, which I thought was wonderful. Huh. Very cool. And, uh, you know, uh, kudos to you, because what better way to get to know your customer than uh, your customer than exactly. to experience their product? That you have to in, in every sense, and they were very generous to allow it. I did write an article for them in one of their large magazines, and and we showed them the whole thing about our, my husband and I were celebrating our 25 years together, hmm. our anniversary. So it was sort of an anniversary trip, which was lovely. You know, people love occasions, and crossings are occasions, right? Yeah. You have seven days. You have to determine whether or not you, you know you love each other, but now you have to find out if you like each other. <laughs> Me, yeah, stuck in the, you know, and I per, I have never done a cruise. Oh, uh, my. And uh, you call yourself a gay man. <laughs> oh, I've cruised. 
but I haven't done a cruise. Okay, that's a um, So, but it is something I have on my radar. And uh, uh, interestingly, one of my, actually my next call, not a interview, but a call is with a travel agency who does cruises. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Um, uh, so um, he's actually, we're dialoguing, he's picking my brain, blah, blah, blah. And um, so, so yeah, and, and I've already told him about you. <laughs> Uh, don't know if he can afford you or not, but uh, <laughs> my, my husband and I have done a number of cruises, and I have to say they're they're breathtakingly fun, uh, especially river cruises, for example, because oh. the, the groups are smaller. Mm -hmm. You have chance to get to meet quite a few people, and you know every night you 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 your hotel is right there. You don't ever have to pack or unpack. And then when when you land, you just get off, and you're right in the middle of the city. Oh, well, I could definitely see that. I could definitely see that going back to Europe. As I mentioned prior to yeah. us airing, I had lived in Germany for almost six years. And oh, I know yeah. on the Rhine River that goes through that they have uh, cruises. Um, we did the yeah. Rhine and the, uh, and the Danube. They're really brilliant. Okay. Well, Very nice. yeah, I'll, I'll, I will put that on my radar. Uh, <laughs> my whole thing is just like, OMG. I mean, I just being trapped. I like to be able to go and move. Um, so I, you know, so a small boat with lots of stops or a much larger boat, you know, I'd be okay with it. But um, yeah. But you're right I, about being confined. You need freedom. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I, 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 one of my friends in the past have kind of called me squirrely because it's like, like, for example, whenever I go out, if I go out with even a, you know, a small group of people, you know, if I want to go, I'm going, you know, I, I, I will, if you all want to stay here, fine. And sometimes that's just me going home, uh, you know, but, you know, I'll dump. I will leave. <laughs> I will not stay. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, yeah, so I, but yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back to Germany because I have several friends there. One of my good friends, uh, she's transgender and uh, I've known her since I was 18 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, so, and there's a couple other people that I've known almost as long, um, you know, back in Germany. So, Maybe I'll look at some, you know, if there's a gay Ryan Cruz, coupling, oh, yeah. coupling that with meeting up with longtime friends and so forth, so I can get a, a lot of bang for my travel buck. <laughs> I, I'm with you there. Very cool. Well, uh, you know, we're coming up here on our uh, time scheduled, and I'm sure you're yeah. a busy person. So is there maybe anything, uh, you know, for the last few minutes that we haven't talked about that you would like to share? Well, the one thing I would say, there's one thing uh, that you can appreciate if you've been around the block a little bit, as I have, and I think both of us have experience in the world. Um, I find that in this, in the business that I'm in, I'm learning every day. And mm -hmm. I think that that's the thing I treasure a lot is that uh, every day it's, it's a new world. First of all, it's changed from risk and reward to mostly reward, but also new discovery. I think what we're figuring out about gender, gender identity, or the, the plight of transgender people, for example, and also the obscurity and the erasure of bisexual people, which is a problem. Mm -hmm. I think there's issues here in our community that we've got to grapple with and also educate business about. Business has to know that it's not right when uh, transgender people are so, are, are, are not just diminished, but erased and uh, um, discriminated against so ugly, in so many ugly ways. Right now, they're, they're facing, as you know, you know, friends that you have, is that um, it's fear and terror for some of them. And mm -hmm. for younger ones, particularly for younger ones, you really don't have the arc of history that, you know, over time we're going to be able to uh, prevail. I think we'll absolutely prevail, but it's, it's kind of scary right now. I think we have to give them hope. I, I completely agree. And, you know, for our listening audience, you know, if, if you don't 
happen to know anyone who's transgender. Um, I've interviewed already numerous, probably 10 people. My very first interview uh, was with a, a two-spirit transgender person um, going back now. And I've released as of right now, not including my backlog of editing, but I released over like 83 to 85 episodes. And of that, probably 10 or 11 are of transgender people. Um, and, yeah. you know, one or two from Germany, uh, several here throughout the United States, some with military yeah. background. And so, you know, if you don't, listen to their stories and all the different things that they, they do. Um, one really great person, um, Xander uh, Keg, uh, Keeg, uh, K-E-I-G, if you search on the website, was prior military, um, is a health and wellness person, um, actually uh, works with transgender military persons, although he mm. is now a veteran. And there's just a rich, um, uh, a rich array of people um, to get to know. And I, I can appreciate you and I are, are very similar in the sense that every single day I learn something. And being an entrepreneur, Seriously, if you're not learning something new every day um, and then trying to become better, you're going to become stagnant. So every single day, whether that's I learned something about marketing and drip email marketing or something about my, my technology on my website. Um, and then, too, I also kind of because I work 10 to 12 hours a day, seven days a week, um, I also break up my day and I'll spend five or 20 minutes watching how to cook enchiladas in any way or how to cook in a great Indian dish. Or I'm also watching right now uh, some real estate investing uh, people. Um, but it's uh, I constantly need that. If I'm yeah. learning something and growing and expanding, I just, I feel like there's a huge void in my life. So I can totally appreciate appreciate uh that and our camaraderie on that particular yeah. uh, facet well wonderful uh gosh this has been such an enlightening conversation even for me there's so many things that i 90 percent of what you talked about uh, about your company and what you've done i did not know <laughs> so i so much appreciate the opportunity to get to know you better and for our audience to get to know you better bob thank you so much Dennis, my pleasure, my honor. Um, I support and salute you and, and send you love. Uh, well, thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for staying tuned to this episode of Out Bureau Voices. You've been listening to Bob Wittick of Wittick Communications. Uh, be sure to check out his website if uh, you happen to need some marketing communication needs. You've just heard the depth and breadth that he goes to bat for you. Um, while you're on here, be sure to, on whatever application or website that you're listening or viewing this on, be sure to hit that uh, like or subscribe or follow button. And if you're on YouTube, hit that notification bell to be sure that you get notified as new episodes come out. We have a backlog right now of uh, some wonderful episodes. So make sure you get notified and stay tuned. Thank you so much. This is Dennis Falco with OutBureau.com, your LGBTQ professional and entrepreneurial networking and job board site. Bye-bye.